This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Trevor. Lightly, Paul. Paul, how are you doing today? You picked a good one this week. Yeah, feeling much lighter. Um, had a had a busy week, and so it's very nice to to have made it through and just kind of be here in a nice, fun, safe place again. So we <laughs> we try not to bring too much work talk into this, but yeah, it was a big work week. I had a big big conference, which I probably mentioned last year around this time. So it's one of those that's kind of the, one of the things that you kind of watch throughout the year, and when it's done, you breathe a big sigh. Of so <laughs> feeling light when, on my feet. When do you start to worry about next year? Yeah, um, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> it That's is right. funny. Yeah, no, it pretty much happens. It's like, yeah, as soon as you finish, you take a, a deep breath, and then it's like, okay, now we need to start thinking about next year. But <laughs> having a year of planning is a little different than, you know, a yes. month or a week. So at least you have some time. But yeah, how are things yeah. going with you? Things are going well. Yeah, I've been looking forward to sitting down to record. I, I knew you'd be done with that. And consequently, you and I haven't been in touch as much over the last week. And it's always nice when you kind of realize when you're done, we'll be able to sit down and chat about books and re-enter that comfort um, zone. <laughs> I know, it is. Absolutely. I always miss miss these weeks or miss you during these weeks when I don't get a chance to talk to you so much. So it's good. Yeah, it is. It is nice. I looked. I've been looking forward to it for for all of those reasons. Uh, we'll get to our main topic here shortly, but just a follow up from last uh, the last episode on affinities. I I thought I might share just a couple of the responses that we got. People were were letting us know some of their affinities, and I really liked um, all of them but I wanted to share a few that I pulled up this morning. Uh, one is from uh, Lisa Gardini, or sorry, Gidon, G- one is from Lisa Guidarini. Um, Lisa has been uh, someone I've, I've known for years on Twitter and, and around these uh, book bookish areas. And she said, loving your episode on affinities. One of mine is Southern Gothics, dripping Spanish moth, moss and all of that. <laughs> oh, that's a really good one. So, yeah, I thought that that was a really nice one. That I, I, I don't know if it's one of my affinities that I look for, but when I find it in books, I do like it. Or you know, a good movie or something like that, yeah. uh, I, I do like it. And she, she also followed up on speaking of books on isolation, nature. Um, then she sent a picture of one called "Returning Light: Thirty Years on the Island of." Uh, Skelling Michael. Uh, this is uh, a- about a lighthouse keeper on Skelling Michael off the coast of Ireland, and it's apparently coming out quite soon. And she says she's loving it. So a couple really? of really good uh, uh, recommendations in terms of Spanish, or sorry, Spanish moss, you know, Southern Gothic, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then this uh, this intriguing uh, memoir of a lighthouse keeper. Yeah, that one sounds really good. And speaking of. Uh, Spanish moss and Southern Gothic. A few of the books that I'll and the authors that I bring up a little later may just have a connection there. Nice. I'm excited. (laughs) Um, Another one, uh, Ryan Cartwright. Folks may know Ryan. Um, He's he's an actor. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you look him up, he may be familiar to you. But uh, he wrote said another fantastic episode. Well, think I do. I do love that people mention that you know when they when they write us, it's always just nice to hear. Um, But he he says, I share pretty much all your affinities, but would add snow, snow falling heavily, snow falling lightly, snow piled high, snow impending, snow departing. Love me some novel snow. 
So I asked him, you know, what are some of your favorites? And he mentioned Magic Mountain when Hans gets lost. So, you know, I, and, and also the Fellowship of the Ring, climbing that first mountain in the Fellowship of the Ring. So, yeah, that, uh, thanks so much for that as well. Another one that I do like, even though I had I didn't think about it when we were sitting down to prepare that episode, but I, you know, I always could love some good snow. You know, I think of, uh, you know, th- these books, these murder mysteries where you're just locked in a in a house mm-hmm. or on a train because the mm-hmm. snow is is coming down too hard outside and yeah, the shining dying left and right. Yeah, the mm-hmm. shining. <laughs> or I was thinking of the Long Winter, the Laura Ingalls Wilder, like where they're. Mm just kind of stuck in their cabin for that whole winter and just trying to survive. So yeah, that's a great one. There's so many different ways. It can be cozy. It can be threatening, but that's, that's a really good choice. And then uh, one last one uh, from our friend Rohan Mateson. She says, I loved your affinities episode so much. Your closing discussion about the pleasures of just talking about books you love across different affinities rang so true to me. That's what I treasure about book Twitter. And I, I wanted to bring that up because I mean, that's, I'm, I'm confident that's what both of us wanted to get from getting together to do this podcast. Uh, I mean, that's you and I have known each other for a long time, but not always on book Twitter, Mm -hmm. but in bookish discussion groups. And when you find a friendly, encouraging, welcoming, you know, non-judgmental book group that you can just get together and be excited for each other, finding good books and also discuss what you like and don't like, you know, without fear, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. And I, I do feel like our little community is is that way. So Yeah, I do too. I love that. Can I bring up one other thing that Yeah. I, so the other day on um Instagram, we got a nice little shout out from Pear Jelly. Yeah, Nora. And she uh-huh. she put together yeah, she put together a list of some of her favorite podcasts and I was very flattered and excited to see that we made the list. <laughs> and she she describes us as two lovely chilled dudes talking about books. Their episodes are themed, which is brilliant. They cover a range of subjects from bucket list books to comfort reads via author or publisher spotlights. And she says her favorite episode was number 37, Hotel Novels with Jackie Wine. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much. And I thought that was just fun. And she lists four other great I, ones, including I, our friend I, Simon. Yeah, I was going to say, let's Rachel. list them. Let's, let's share the ones yeah. that she mentions. She mentions... A few of these you may have heard of, uh, Backlisted, which is another one of our favorites. She said her favorite episode is Archive Book Specials, 21st of March, 2023. Tier Books with Rachel and Simon. And her favorite episode there was number 40, How Do We Arrange Our Bookshelves? And two <laughs> E.H. Young novels. And Books Unbound. Her favorite episode there was 173, Top Books of 2022. And then the last one for now, although she promised to do another one of these soon, is Lost Ladies of Lit, which I've been hearing a lot about. I need mm-hmm. to check that one out. Um, and her favorite episode there is Pers- Ursula Parrott, ex-wife. And I, yeah, that's what it says on that one. So I'm not familiar with that that particular episode. And like I said, I need to check out that podcast. But yeah, that was so fun and such a cool idea to give a shout out. It means a lot, really. I mean, I, I, every time I see something like that, I, I just can't believe you know, I know people listen, but it's always so flattering and exciting to hear that they even have a favorite episode. Yeah. And and thanks, Nora, for doing that. Um, I will put links to these podcasts in the show notes on the newsletter. Yeah, that's a great uh, idea. If you're looking for it, folks. So, And if I could selfishly ask, I've actually thought about doing this. It seems a little self-indulgent, but I've always been curious to hear from people if they do have either a favorite type of episode or a favorite 
episode in particular. So if yeah. anybody wants to send us a list, I, you know, it's just something I'm, I'm always curious about, like which ones really resonate or which ones stick with you. Um, it'd be kind of fun. No I, pressure, I, of course. I, I would love to hear that too. Um, you know, it's just nice to, nice to know. And, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, thanks everybody. And, and anything else on that, Paul, before I ask you what you have been reading as you have oh. been busy? <laughs> yeah, I have been. No, I, I'm ready to jump in. All right. So, so yeah, I have been busy. So I have had to put solenoid off to the side a little over the last week or two, which has made me sad. But I didn't think I could probably give it the time that it needed or the, the mental space. Mm-hmm. And also there's just the fact that it is a giant brick of a book. And so might not get it through your luggage. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I have been doing a mix of some slender books and some audiobooks. And one of the audiobooks that I really enjoyed was The Dangers of Smoking in Bed by Mariana Enriquez, translated by Megan McDowell. Hmm. Um, I was trying to find a good excerpt from it to read, but I couldn't really find one. So I'm going to just read the summary, which might give people you know, a little bit of an idea. It says, Welcome to Buenos Aires, a place of nightmares and twisted imaginings where missing children come back from the dead and unearthed bones carry terrible curses. Thrumming with murderous intentions, family betrayals, and morbid desires, these stories shine a light on a violent city gripped by urban madness, giving voice to the lost, the oppressed, and the forgotten. Lucid and darkly poetic, Unsettling and otherworldly, these tales of revenge, witchcraft, and fetishes are a masterpiece of contemporary gothic and a bewitching exploration of the dark inclinations that threaten to lead us over the edge. So, hey, if that doesn't get you, I don't know what will. Um, Yeah, it's really good. It reminded me of kind of a mix of Fernanda Meltor with kind of giving the voices to the lost and some of the darkness and the grittiness. And maybe somebody like Samantha Schweblin, because it does have some of that unexplained weirdness that I find so fascinating. So yeah, I really, really liked that. Um, I've been seeing a lot about her new novel, Our Share of Night. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are reading that and and I've, I've heard only good things about it. So this, I figured this would be a good way to kind of dip my toe in and see how I liked her. And yeah, so far so good for sure. So I'm going to check that out a little bit more. Yeah. Our uh, Share of Night would be another big one for you. It would, but I've heard yeah. good things too. I've, I've been wanting to I've been eyeing that one too. <laughs> yeah. Have you read any of her other stuff yet? No, I've read the short story that appeared in the New Yorker earlier this, uh, was it this year or late? Anyway, there, there was mm. some time. Um, she, she, yeah, I think it was earlier this year in the New Yorker. I can't remember what it's called. Mm. Uh, something with ghosts. It was really fun and, and intriguing and just well done. You know, yeah. I think, I think all of these have been translated by Megan McDowell, which is kind of fitting. You mentioned, uh, uh, Samantha Schweblin as being uh, someone who came to mind her work. And I think Megan McDowell also has translated all of the books we've gotten from her. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Over the years. <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely a, a kindred spirit there. Yeah. They're really good. And, and yeah, Samantha, Samantha Schweblin is wonderful too. I actually had just, my wife read fever dream a while back on my recommendation. And she was just like, I was like, wow, like, I don't really know what to think, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> and so I recently bought her a mouthful of birds nice. and she's been enjoying those too. Well, enjoying might not be the right word. <laughs> it hasn't um, ruined your relationship. At the no, least. no, all's, all's well so far. So yeah. And then the other thing that I did pick up, um, have you ever read Robin Wall Kimmerer? She wrote um, braiding sweetgrass and then no. this is her, this is her older book called Gathering Moss. And it's just one of those nice, it's very much the opposite of that, what I just described. 
it's just a nice she delves into you know she has kind of a, a native american ancestry so she kind of looks at the the blending and the marriage between hard science and some of these more traditional views of looking at the world. And she's done that in both books that I've read by her so far. This one is, like I said, Gathering Moss, A Natural and Cultural History of Mosses. And it kind of ties into our affinities of kind of going down that rabbit hole where this whole book is just about, you know, mosses. And and it takes, like, like, like I said, a scientific view, and then it'll also go back into some different cultures and the way they look at things. So I just thought I, I just picked an excerpt that might give you a little bit of a idea. And it's from a chapter called an affinity for water. And it says on the hilltops of my home in upstate New York, the bare gray branches of the maples seem to be traced with a newly sharpened pencil against the winter sky. But in the Willamette Valley, the Oregon oaks are drawn in thick green crayon. The steady winter rains keep the tree trunks lush and green with moss while their leaves lie dormant. This mossy sponge drips a constant flow of water to the tree roots, saturating the ground below and filling the soil reservoir for the summer ahead. By August, the winter rains have long been consumed and the land is thirsty again. The oak leaves hang in the hot air and the buzzing cicadas broadcast the weather forecast, the 65th day without rain. The wildflowers have retreated underground to avoid the drought, leaving a landscape of parched brown grasses. The moss carpets now lie desiccated on the bark of the summer oaks their shriveled, wiry skeletons barely recognizable. In the summer drought, the oak grove is hushed and waiting. And so I just thought, you know, there, there's a lot of different types of writing in these books, but I think she's so good at like describing nature in such a beautiful way, talking about the pencil line drawings of one versus the green crayon of another. And she's really good at like looking at the long view of, of seasons and years and decades, which is, as we've talked about, something I really like. Um, so anyway, I'm probably about halfway through that one and really enjoying it so far. Um, I know that braiding sweetgrass, you know, kind of swept the the bookish world there for for a while and with good reason. So this is one that's I don't think it's as well known, or at least I hadn't heard of it as much. So if anybody has um, enjoyed some of her other stuff, it's a good one to check out. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. All right. And How about uh, you? what have you been what have you been reading these days? So I'll I'll share two. One that I finished just barely, and one that I'm starting uh, like now. <laughs> nice. Um, the one I just finished is the Illiterate by Agata Kristoff, and this was just published uh, by New Directions in a translation from Nina Bogan um, or Nina. I don't know, um, but this is a very short little memoir that Agatha Christoph uh, wrote in 2004 when she was in her, you know, late sixties. She wasn't, she, she died in 2011, I think. Um, born in 1939, she was in Hungary and she escaped from Hungary in 1956 with her husband and small child who was four months old and went to, uh, you know, Austria and then I, then into Switzerland where she didn't know the language and she's kind of a, a a refugee working in a factory where she can't talk to people. And yet she becomes a, a great author. Um, her first novel, the notebook being published in the, in the eighties and being the first of a trilogy that gets her kind of worldwide fame. And she wrote it in French. Uh, she wrote this, uh, the illiterate in French as well. Uh, but this is, very short. It's like 11 vignettes. I mean, you could read this in, in a sit down, 
But man, is this a rich little book. You know, I felt after reading sometimes just a paragraph, I was like, man, it would take some authors, you know, pages and pages and pages to carry over so much information and feeling that that she's able to convey in just um, a few sentences. And so loved, loved it, loved the translation. And I thought I'd read just a little part. This is uh, from a section called Memory. And she has uh, been in in Switzerland for a while now. You know, she's she's settled. She uh, learns from the newspapers and the television that a 10-year-old Turkish child has died of exhaustion and exposure while illegally crossing the Swiss border with his parents. The smugglers left them near the border. They had only to walk straight ahead until they reached the first Swiss village, They walked for hours through the mountains in the forest. It was very cold. Toward the end, the father carried the child on his back, but it was already too late. When they reached the village, the child was dead of fatigue, exposure, and exhaustion. My first reaction is that of any Swiss children. How could people have embarked on such a risky adventure with children? Such irresponsibility is unacceptable. The shock I receive in return is violent and immediate. A cold, end-of-November wind sweeps through my well-heated room, and the voice of memory rises up inside me with stupefaction. What? Have you completely forgotten? You did the same thing, exactly the same thing, and your own child was practically a, a newborn. Yes, I remember. And then in just a couple of pages, um, she tells the story of their own crossing, uh, of the border, but I just really like that sense of time and space. And, you know, she's a different person. She's more comfortable. How could someone do that? And then going, wow. <laughs> right. I did it, <laughs> yeah. but a very good book about her, you know, languages and, uh, communication and relationships all in like 55 pages. That's wow. it's a it's really nice. Sounds really good. Did you mention the publisher? I think you did. Yeah, New Directions. Okay, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, that sounds really good. And the one that I'm starting now is uh, freshly out from Transit Books. It's uh, Tezer Ozlu's. No idea how to say that. It's in, mm. it's a Turkish name. Cold Nights of Childhood, uh, translated by Maureen Freely. And uh, like I say, this just came out, but I've been looking forward to it for a long time because I have only read like the first couple of pages. I don't have a a passage to read, so I'll just do what you did and read a little bit uh, from the blurb. It says, the narrator of Tezer Oslu's novel is between lovers. She is in and out of psychiatric wards where she is forced to undergo electroshock treatments. She is between Berlin and Paris. She returns to Istanbul in search of freedom, happiness, and new love. Set across the rambling orchards of a childhood in the Turkish provinces and the smoke-filled cafes of European capitals, Cold Nights of Childhood offers a sensual, unflinching portrayal of a woman's sexual encounters and psychological struggle, staging a clash between unbridled feminine desire and repressive patriarchal society. That sounds so good, and I have seen that one shared a few times on social media. And I will say that is one of the most beautiful covers I think I've seen. I love, love, love that cover. Well, and check this out. So you got this nice, it, it's a, it's almost a black and white cover other than the, the teacup or pot that is in gold and almost looks foiled and a dark blue. 
Yeah. And when you yeah. open up, the end papers are. Oh wow! You'd never expect it. You know, you think, oh, it's just a white, uh, white cover uh, on the, you know, the flip of the cover, but it's it's not. It's like this red and blue uh, petals, and it's it is. It's a really nicely put together book, and and this one's also short. I should be able to get through it quite soon. I'll post my thoughts, you know, once I am, but it's just over a hundred pages and they're not like, you know, it's not written in the same text as the birthday party, which was font size, like four. Yeah. (laughs) Magnifying glass required to come with the book. Yeah. Transit books is uh, not always publishing them that small. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So they took, they took pity on us middle-aged people. (laughs) But uh, yeah, this is, I, I am very excited and I think I might be able to get through it over the weekend. Uh, nice. we shall see, um, uh, you know, how, how things go, but I'm, nice. I'm, I'm excited. And I, I will say too, I loved the illiterate so much. And it's the first thing I'd ever read by Agatha Christoph. Mm. I went and immediately when I finished it, I, I went online and ordered the, um, three novels by Agatha Christoph. It's the notebook, the proof and the third lie all in one novel or oh. all, all in one volume published by Grove Pressed press so while the book itself here is about 500 pages it's all three of the of, of those books put together in in one so uh, i hope i get to start it soon but that that was a surprise you know it's interrupting my my flow of other things i had on the on the docket because yeah, i like, like the alert so much <laughs> yeah but you have to go with those those feelings and, and mm-hmm. kind of follow the flow sometimes so yeah i'll be curious to hear what you think of those whenever you get to them sounds good all right well let's Take a second here, catch our breath, and move into our topic for the day. So, Paul, I don't remember how we selected this particular topic. It's probably one that we thought of the first time we started, you know, throwing around topics that we just never uh, did, Mm -hmm. but it it fit into our schedule right now. Titles. Listing some of our favorites, maybe talking a little bit about titles in general, you know, theorizing a little bit on them. Um, I admit I tried to use ChatGPT to find some of the best essays, like serious essays about titles. Mm-hmm. And it gave me ones with like great authors that I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to go read their essay on titles. And then the title of the essay sounded so good. I think they were all fake. <laughs> oh, really? At least I could not find those That's articles so anywhere. These essays didn't pop up. You know how Google always pulls up stuff. Always, you know, you got something, yeah. some reference, oh, yeah, yeah, something yeah. that doesn't even apply. I mean, at the very least, some questionable website. It's like Google can find no uh, information about this <laughs> article. And I'm like, That's... no search results on on this very famous George Orwell essay on titles? What? <laughs> I don't know if he ever wrote one or not. I, I didn't have time to really dig deep, but I did start to feel after like the fifth one that I might be, I might be 
using chat GPT wrong or correctly. I don't know. I was going to say or correctly. And that's just that hallucination <laughs> effect that they keep talking about where if it doesn't know, it'll just make up something that sounds very plausible. Yeah, they sounded great. I wish I could have read them so that we could really give some good insights on, you know, more of the psychology of titles or, you know, wh- why these things pull us in. But you and I will probably, probably be, do just as well as George Orwell. Oh, I'm have. sure. Absolutely. Between the two of us, maybe we right. measure up. <laughs> and I mean, his titles, Animal Farm, that's like, might as well call it Old McDonald's, right? That's 1984, right. whoop-de-doo, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, actually, as I was looking at uh, some great titles, 1984 often popped up just because mm-hmm. it does. It, it's very, you know, it was the future at the time, but it just sounds ominous somehow. Yeah. It's like a date that will always, you know, should come with a big slam. Um, And maybe, maybe some of that's just because of the Apple Macintosh computer ad they ran in 1984 to like commemorate. That was so disturbing. (laughs) It was the sledgehammer or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, all right. Titles though. What, what are some of your thoughts on titles? You know, what do titles do for you? Do you care about titles? Is that really what you first look at? Or do you look at, the author? Do you look at the book cover of the publisher? Yeah. You know, what, what do they do for you? I was thinking about this and I think it, I mean, this is not going to surprise anybody, but it definitely depends. In many cases, I would say it has absolutely no impact at all. For example, if it was a book that was highly recommended to me from people I trusted, I wouldn't care what it was called. That wouldn't be what would draw me in. And even if the title didn't appeal to me, the rest of it would kind of, you know, overcome any doubts that I had about that. Um, or, you know, if you know the author or the publisher, you know, like if Shumpa Lahiri has a new one come out and the title doesn't grab me, who cares? It's Shumpa Lahiri. Right. Like, I'll love it. Um, but I do think that they are one of one of the various ways that you could be hooked to, if you're in a bookstore or browsing online, to pick up a book you wouldn't otherwise necessarily care about. You know, if there was a title that was just so intriguing or interesting to you, it might be, that might be the hook. You know, sometimes it could be the cover. Sometimes it could be, you know, something else, but I do think that it's one of the tools that could be used to draw in somebody, you know, to intrigue someone who didn't know anything else about a book. So, yeah, I think it's just a lot of it just depends. I think it's one of the, you know, several different things that could draw me to at least pick up a book that I wasn't curious about. But again, if it was somebody who an author or a book that I was already feeling strongly about, even if it was the worst title ever it wouldn't dissuade me from, from reading it. Mm -hmm. How about you? What do you think? I think titles can be very powerful because Mm -hmm. they can, in, in some cases they're just titles, you know, ways to refer to a book, but in other situations, they are part of the book. Mm -hmm. They have picked the perfect title that it's almost like the first words of the book and they're, they, they capture you, they evoke something um even with no knowledge of the book itself it's a promise it can be a promise of tone or of treatment um you know just just looking for example at some of the the books that are coming out soon from NYRB classics there's don't look at me like that by Diana Athill that promises a certain type of book to me and I'm excited to read it. I've been wanting to read her her books for a while. Uh, the other one they're bringing out in August is called Instead of a Letter. 
And I just think these sound, I mean, you know, I don't know. I haven't looked into them too much, but I'm like, ooh, mm-hmm. we, we, we talk a lot about Chantel Ackerman and this just, I don't know, seems to fit into that, that area for me. Yeah. But then we also have uh, Written on Water by Eileen Chang coming out. And that's a completely different uh, feel, you know, maybe a little more poetic not less captivating, not, you know, just very, very different. Uh, we have the fawn that just came out by Magda Shabo and that just in connection with her other books, like the door, Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, she has a way of just being like, here's, you know, we're going to go this way with all this. Mm-hmm. There's so much that a title can do to, to introduce you to a book or to make a, make a promise or, or at least, entice you, you know, seduce you, uh, into picking it up or, or, or kind kind of like those Diana, Diane Athill books almost demand that you pick them up and mm-hmm. don't look at me like that. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Or let like, me, let me see what you have to say, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, it almost has like that, um, confrontational mm-hmm. appeal. And it reminded me when you were talking about Rebecca Solnit last time, uh, men explain things to me. You know, it's like one of those where it's kind of like in yeah. your face and that'll instantly get you interested. So yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, I think there's like an interesting tension between the artistic or creative view of things, which is what I would love to think that most titles are, that the author either chose it or was directly involved in the process. I do think sometimes there's also the the counter push of kind of the marketing side of it, I guess, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. And what made me think of that is sometimes there's these trends that come through with titles. Um, there was a lot of publicity given to the the girl titles, Gone Girl, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Girl on a Train. You know, for a while, it seemed like every other book that came out looked a certain way with the cover and had the word girl in it. Mm-hmm. Or there was like a trend, I think it was maybe in the early 2000s, where there was a lot of those really long, sometimes bordering on gimmicky titles, in my opinion, like the incident of the dog in the nighttime, the Guernsey literary and potato pill pie society, hard boiled yeah. wonderland and the end of the world. You know, I mean, those aren't all bad, but there's just these, interesting they don't appeal trends. to me. They're not my, I don't have an affinity with those. No, they, they don't evoke I don't. what I want to, to find. Exactly. And I was looking at around speaking of articles, I found one, an article about data science and it was called book titles are getting longer <laughs> And it talks mm-hmm. about, you know, it charts it in, in actual data that books have been trending longer, but it also mentions like it does one of those word clouds of the most popular terms used in fiction book titles. And right at the beginning, like right in the middle, girl, girls, dark, love, you know, <laughs> death. Like, so, so there was definitely that trend for a while there where um, it looks like gone, love, girl, house, and girls were all from like 2015 to about 2018, they were all by far the most used words and titles. So again, the only reason I bring that up is just because I do think in a perfect world, the author either comes up with the title based on their work or at the very least has a very strong voice in that part of the process. But I do know that realistically, there are probably times just like with a cover where they might lose some control and just have to see mm-hmm. to kind of the the marketing, you know, the, the conference table group who's putting together those titles. It's kind of a yeah. weird dichotomy. 
Well, and I think of that with the, a lot of YA books, they go through these trends where mm-hmm. it's the one word title, yeah, you know, and then Absolutely. they have the, the blank of blank and blank, like the, what is it? Mm-hmm. The daughter of smoke and bone or something like that. And that every book after that for a long time is the blank of blank and blank. Right. And, but this has been going on for a long time. I mean, to bring NYRB classics, uh, current, uh, publication slate out, they we've got two novels by Dino Buzzati, uh, The Stronghold, translated by Lawrence Venuti, and A Love Affair, which I don't have pulled up to see who translated it, but I can look. Oh, Joseph Green. Um, but The Stronghold, people will know better as The Tartar Step by Dino Buzzati. It's the same book. I thought, oh, we're getting an, you know, more books by Dino Buzzati. And then I'm like, oh, this is The Tartar Step. Why do they call it the the stronghold? Because the original French title is the Tartar Step in French. It's not, or sorry, is in, in Italian. Um, the The original Italian title is the Tartar Step. It's not the stronghold. It, it's whatever the Tartar Step is in Italian. So why did they change it? You know, it's not like you can translate this the Tartar Step into the stronghold. That's what that means in you know Italian. Right. But it was actually his original title that he wanted to call it. It was his publishers who wanted to call mm. it the tar- the Tartar Step because of the implications with the war. You know, this this was uh, uh, written in a delicate time, and so there there's an an interesting thing that even you know even back then, well, probably always these titles and what they can uh, how they can market a book is pretty important. I mean, but it, it, it also makes sense, you know, because titles, as we just said, they do evoke things. Mm-hmm. Um, they do make, and, and sometimes what the publisher wants them to evoke is another book <laughs> that you love. <laughs> right. Or, or they don't want it to evoke Mussolini. <laughs> you know, they don't want, they don't want your first thought when you read my struggle by Karl Ovakinoskar to be, is this, is this Hitler? You know, are, are we <laughs> right. are we writing a Nazi book? And mm-hmm. and yet he's able to push that through. But I'm mm-hmm. sure they were like, no, we're not publishing this as my struggle. We're not yeah. doing it. And there and it's why I think in England they don't call it my struggle. They have those books, his subtitled of those books, mm-hmm. um, because the publisher wants to evoke something or doesn't want to evoke something, or at least feels like. Um, you know, they've got a better handle on what will sell this book versus versus what will uh, introduce the book or become those first words of a book, like I was saying earlier. I think of it in po- terms of poetry. You know, sometimes there's poetry where the, the title is literally the first line. Mm-hmm. That, that, that word is not repeated that, or that line is not repeated. It's, it's the title is the first line and it's it's part of the poem. It's not the title of the poem. It is, but it's it's the poem itself. And that's not always what publishers want, um, because they are trying to sell us. And maybe, maybe, maybe some of our favorite books had the author had their way, we never would have heard of them, or they wouldn't have evoked. Maybe the publisher also sometimes is getting the right mix of poetry and marketing. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the list in front of me, but I remember seeing a list of the titles that Fitzgerald wanted for The Great Gatsby, uh-huh. and. They were terrible. I mean, they were just <laughs> not good. So there are times where, as much as I would advocate for the artist or the author to 
have the final say. I mean, there are times where it's funny because it's like, well, in this case, I guess I'm glad that they didn't have the final say because some of them, I, I'll try to find it here in a little bit, but they're not good. They're not good. So The Great Gatsby, I'm glad that one won out. But I mean, speaking of authors, I mean, I have noticed there's definitely certain authors who yeah. just have great titles. And I had jotted down a few. I don't know if you have any, but I could like... I do. That's kind of how yeah. I went about thinking of okay, this cool. too. Good. I mean, I'll just start off, you know, Steinbeck, obviously, Winter of Our Discontent, East of Eden, Grapes of Wrath. I mean, those are all beautiful. Um, I mean, a lot of them are are kind of the the old white guys, for whatever reason, that that at least (laughs) initially popped out to me. Okay, that popped out to you. I was going to say, so many of mine are women authors. Oh, yeah. No, just Um, initially, like the first few I thought of. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because like Faulkner, As I Lay Dying, The Sound and the Fury, Intruder in the Dusk, or Hemingway, For Whom the Bell Tolls, A Farewell to Arms, The Sun Also Rises, A Movable Feast. I mean, those are just mm-hmm. beautiful, gorgeous, evocative titles. So again, that's the first layer, just when I was brainstorming. But uh-huh. yes, go on. Well, one thing you've already introduced here is how many how many of the titles you just listed, and I didn't keep track, are... Yeah. Shakespeare quotes. Yep. No, I exactly. or, I had or for whom the bell tolls, you know, John Donne or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. the winter of our discontent is yep. is Shakespeare. The sound and the fury is Shakespeare. Uh one of the authors I was gonna bring up is Javier Marias, mm-hmm. who is always not always, I don't think that Shakespeare wrote anything called Thomas Nevinson, <laughs> which is coming out soon. Um uh, by the uh, way, for folks. Yeah, but, I was gonna say. <laughs> But in terms of many of my favorite of his his titles, A Heart So White, Your mm-hmm. Face Tomorrow, uh, Tomorrow in the Battle, Think on Me. You know, these are books that are from that are Shakespeare. Uh, Thus Bad Begins. You know, mm-hmm. it's such a great title, and it's it's from it's from Hamlet. You know, I I, I actually on my website on my on the Mooks and the Gripes. I, I did in some of one of my reviews might have been thus bad begins. I went through all of his titles and pulled the the passage from Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I mean, just so many of them. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. Shakespeare definitely has a a way of of giving a title gravitas and poetry oh, and a promise. You know, a heart so white again. Oh man, I love that part from Macbeth. So <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. No, I had had a whole different section just based on other books. So I had a heart so white, but Brave New World. Infinite mm-hmm. Jest, Hail Fire, The Sound and the Fury, Yes, The Winter of Our Discontent, Something Wicked This Way Comes, um, What Dreams May Come. I mean, so many great <laughs> titles came directly out of Shakespeare. So, I mean, talk talk about a way, like you said, to instantly lend your books mm-hmm. some intrigue and credibility. Plus, it's just, well, so many of them are beautiful. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm glad that you brought that up. Sorry, mm-hmm. I kind of derailed oh. your... your uh your your foray there but i maybe maybe an appropriate uh sidestep you know to look at that earlier than you were gonna do it (laughs) no absolutely what i told you when i was putting together this list is i could just sit here and read titles for like an hour and a half of just beautiful titles and that could be our whole episode (laughs) that would probably be very appealing for listeners so no but another author who i think just has wonderful titles for both her her books and her stories is flannery o'connor mm-hmm you know, a good man is hard to find. Everything that rises must converge. The violent bear it away. Wise blood. A late encounter with the enemy. I mean, she has so many good ones. Um, why do he, Why do the heathen rage? I mean, just so many great titles that are just perfectly tie into like what 
the themes of her works, you know, there's, there's, they're well thought out and it's part of the art. And isn't it interesting? They're also could, could come across as super pretentious. Mm-hmm. I, tr- but I, I, you know, she's pulled it off so many times. I'd like, I like her titles, but if that were by just um, some, someone else, yeah, I'd be like everything that rises must converge. You're trying to win a national book award. Right. You know? <laughs> right. I just get is this is the tone going to deserve is the book going to deserve that kind of a title? Mm-hmm. You know, so there is that too. A title can promise something or or even portend of something that that you are either attracted to or not. Um, and some of them can feel so pretentious, but if they if they do pull it off, and it's like, oh, that matches, that works. You know, a good man is hard to find is such a great story, oh, yeah. and it does fit the title um, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are plenty that I'm like, oh, I feel like you're just wanting to sound super poetic, and I bet you're not. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> I'll let you go with some in a minute, but on the. F- absolute flip side of what you just said the opposite of pretension how about this is cheating a little because a lot of them are short story titles but annie prue mm. she is so good at titles you know broke back mountain of course but them old cowboy songs the half-skinned steer people in hell just want a drink of water what kind of furniture would jesus pick and this one <laughs> tits up in a ditch is just like when you read that story it's so like she's so good at capturing the people who are speaking in the specific geographical area that she's talking about and these terms that, you know, might come across as offensive or at least like bring you up short, but in that milieu, it's just like the perfect title for that book or that one. I read this story or, or just talked about it in one of our episodes, job history. And in and of itself, that title isn't that exciting, but when you read that devastating story and just what it actually stands for, like this following this person's life in a really whirlwind manner and just, the tough luck that they've had. And then you go back and look at the title job history. It's just like getting punched in the gut, you know? So it's one of those where clearly that was, you know, her thinking about it. And and I'm sure she revised that several times and just found the perfect title for that story. So yeah, um, that's kind of the opposite of the pretentious, but where it can perfectly capture the people that she's writing about. Well, and the, Again, the, yeah, the, the capturing of the people that she's writing about, the the the, the clipped nature, the the frank nature mm-hmm. of those titles, is mm-hmm. is part of her is part of her topic and part of what she's you know going through with that, you know the, the shipping news is mm-hmm. is another good one. It's just oh okay, this is what what we've got here, and there's a lot of cool writing technique you know in in something like the shipping news that she's that she's doing but it's also very much down to the essentials and that's all we can we can do you know it's it's cold work is hard um we're we're just going we we communicate sparingly and that that's captured in the in the title as well Mm -hmm. um and yes, let, now now maybe let's swing the pendulum back a little bit okay. for um, Muriel Spark. Oh, I think yeah. she does well with her titles too. We've got Memento Mori, The Ballad of Peckham Rye, The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, which I just love. And I love how often that is repeated, you know, in my prime throughout that, mm-hmm. that story. 
Um, we've got, uh, I'm going to skip a bunch here, but not to disturb the abyss of crew. I don't know why these just, I, I enjoy, I mean, I've read them, so maybe that's part of it, but I love just hearing them. Um, but then we get into these that are, I think are really fun. Loitering with intent. I love them. Um, a far cry from Kensington. Um, where is the, the girls of slender means, mm-hmm. uh, aiding and abetting, you know, just, I, I, I love the, and again, part of it's cause I know who she is. I know we're going to get something a little bit acerbic and, and uh, cynical and, and funny, but in a way that also makes you cringe a little bit mm-hmm. that these, these titles just continue to evoke so much of that for me. Um, again, I think she's just a really good, a really good, uh, title, titler <laughs> of mm-hmm. her, of her really good stories and, and books. I mean, her last story collection is called the snobs. It's <laughs> so good. I think, yeah, that... I, I think I was talking to Barbara Epler, uh, of new directions. I think, um, she was kind of talking about, uh, Muriel spark. Uh, they, they published a lot of her books and, and she knew her. And I remember talking to her just a little bit about, about their relationship and such. And just learning, okay, yep, she's she's kind of who I thought she might be. I don't know if she would have liked me at all, but I would have enjoyed getting to know her, you know? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really great choice. Um, I was thinking, you know, I mean, there's so many, but like Edgar Allan Poe is another one. His titles are just so good and, and evocative. The Telltale Heart. You know, we you and I talked about the Cask of Amontillado already, but one of my favorites, The Fall of the House of Usher. Like, oh, what a mm-hmm. great name the mask of the red death the pit and the pendulum i mean those are just so good i mean so dark and foreboding but also i mean most of them it it does kind of say a lot about what takes place in the story so it's not like they're just way off and vague but at the same time there's still that that beauty to it where it's not just a statement of fact i really like Mm -hmm. those another author I'll bring up as we just keep on, you know, it's like we're playing oh, tennis. Yeah. Like tennis I said, I could here. do this for hours. This is our next author who we'll be talking about yes. in our next episode. And so, so listeners know, I am not that familiar with all of Barbara Pym's works. You can listen to that episode without feeling like we're going to go into deep dive on their works. I want Paul to educate us all oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> about her. Pressure. But one reason that I just know Barbara Pym is one of my favorite authors is because of her titles. You know, she starts out with some tame gazelle and excellent women, uh, Jane and Prudence. I just love that title. It's just two names, but Jane and then connecting it with Prudence. Uh, you kind of there's just something about those words. You know what those words evoke. Even mm-hmm. um, less than angels, a gate of blessings, and then one of my favorites, No Fond Return of Love. Of oh, course, one of your favorite books, Quartet mm-hmm. in Autumn. That's just so, you know, it's almost like Bergman's, uh, Ingmar Bergman's uh, Autumn Sonata. There's just something about that mixture of, of music and autumn and the word autumn even. Uh, we've got the sweet dove died, a few green leaves, an unsuitable attachment. <laughs> and, and then, you know, some of the ones that getting into ones she wrote, but that were published posthumously, Crampton Hodnet, which you read and and... I don't know what that one evokes. Weird yeah. uh, weirdness. Um, right. An academic question and then civil to strangers. Mm. Just again, a lot of really well done titles that aren't, they don't, 
they're not they're, they are simple but they're not like you know the the the, the swallow or something like that. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, there are books called them something like that that are just great. And the, and the title works, but she's done something with these con- connections of words and phrases that I, they don't really evoke other books for me. They, you know, they are more just like, Oh, okay. I want to read about an unsuitable attachment. And I want to read about the person who would, who would phrase it that way. An unsuitable attachment is so, you know, I, I already have a feel of the tone of this novel and the voice that's going to be behind it because that's so British. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know and, so polite. <laughs> how amazing is that? That sometimes in two words, three words, you know, it may not always be exactly right, but you get a very strong sense sometimes of what this book could and probably is about. That's amazing mm-hmm. that somebody could do that. <laughs> Uh, any others that you want to bring? I do have others. I mean, like like you, oh, I yeah, could go I, on forever. But uh, I could do that. I mean, what about if I put a slight twist on it and ask? I, would I have love like it. three categories of, of types of books that I think lend themselves to really strong titles. So, for example, horror books. I think mm-hmm. often horror books can just lend themselves to a really powerful titles. So, a few examples we mentioned: Samantha, Samantha. I keep saying Samantha. Samantha Schweblin, Mouthful of Birds. To me, that is just such a good title. Yeah. I mean, going back to my buddy Stephen King, It or Pet Cemetery, down to the details of spelling cemetery with an S because it's children who are burying their pets. And it just adds, it's fairly subtle, but it adds that creepiness to it. Um, You know, The Haunting of Hill House. There's another one I love called A Head Full of Ghosts. Oh, that just instantly, you're just kind of like, get the chills. You know, The Turn of the Screw, Interview with the Vampire, The Yellow Wallpaper. I mean, I think horror books are one of those areas where there's a lot of really strong titles that sometimes even before you've read a word, you already kind of start to get, you know, the creeps a little bit. <laughs> I kind of like that. Um, yeah, so I don't know for if you sure. Wonder, I'm putting you on the spot, but I don't know if you haven't know any there or otherwise I can oh. mention another genre. You know, I don't, I don't read a whole lot of horror, but often it's titled. This, this might be a good area for me to express. Sometimes the title gets me excited, and the book lets me down. No, like, that's I'm like true, that is true. a powerful title that evokes an image or a feeling that the book doesn't carry out for me. Because, and that happens with me so often with horror. We talked about this in our episode, mm-hmm. on our Halloween episode last year. I I just like I know other people I'm more scared by the vague parts of my imagination than by something that I am explicitly shown or told and a title has the ability to tap into that part of my brain and start those vague associations and uh and feelings and you know feelings of dread or or excitement uh that sometimes the book doesn't doesn't follow through with. And so I don't read a whole lot of horror. And so nothing's popping to mind um, other than ones you already mentioned, probably because you mentioned them. (laughs) Yeah, no, but that's a really great point because we did have that discussion and that is the biggest shortcoming for me of, of horror movies and books is the promise is usually I'll, I'll go so far as to say almost never fulfilled for me. And, but yeah, like you said, the idea that a title could promise something that it can't deliver is a very interesting wrinkle on this for sure. Um, well, another, you know, kind of a wrinkle in time, by the way, another great title that even before reading the book as a kid, I wanted to read that book. (laughs) That's one of my wife's very favorite, you know, books from childhood that, yeah, that is a great title. 
Well, how about noir? Um, I think famously noir is known for both movies and films, some great titles, you know, in a lonely place, which we read earlier Mm -hmm. this year, that has got to be one of the best, not only, even if you didn't know what it was about, it's a beautiful title, but then once you finish the book and look back at the title, Ooh, that'll really get you even more. Um, you know, I mean, there's tons of famous ones, the big sleep, but several from NYRB hard rain falling black wings Mm -hmm. has my angel. I love that one. Um, you know, then famous ones, they shoot horses, don't they? The the postman always rings twice. Farewell, my lovely, the Black Dahlia. I just think noir books, and I'm not... Strangers on train. Near. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a great one. <laughs> so, I mean, that one, you know, that, that genre is well known for some just wonderful titles. So, you know, I, yeah. as I was thinking about it, I was just like started jotting down a few like Black Wings has my angel and in a lonely place popped out. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait. I could keep pulling at that thread and go for a long time. I think. Did you say farewell, my lovely? Is that one that you mentioned? I did at the very end. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that I, I thought so. I love, I love that. that title. Yep. Mm-hmm. I've not read the book, but again, I'm like I, I already love that Raymond Chandler title, "Farewell, My Lovely." It's just evokes so much. Um, yeah, I, I pulled up a, a little bit of a list here. Derek Raymond, another great noir um, author. Uh, he died with his eyes open. Is, is a really good title, I think. That that kind of, you know, again, frank, um, but somewhat poetic. I don't know. And that's something that a yeah. lot of noir books have. These, you know, Sam Spade talks bluntly and frankly, but he talks. He can still be poetic when he's doing that. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, so some, some really good ones. Uh, the, the Patrick, uh, is it uh, Manchette? My my computer mm-hmm. is running slow because I'm opening so many, so uh, Jean Patrick <laughs> Manchette. I'm running so many um, uh, different things, but you know, uh, Fatal and uh, and a lot of times the it's the p- covers too to the NYRB editions, but the Mad and the Bad, uh, mm. you know, just just a lot of really good uh, noir titles too that when they when they're coming out i'm like oh i do i do like that stuff and those often deliver yeah. Yeah, in a lonely do. place a holy crap you know again both yeah, the like book said, and the movie <laughs> well and that's one again like talk about a great title when it pulls you in you read the book you reread the title and it uncovers whole different mm-hmm. meanings and i mean that's when you know they're working on a whole di- another level it's really impressive <laughs> that they could do that uh-huh. um what about nonfiction? I was thinking, like, as I was looking through my shelves, there's a lot of great nonfiction mm. titles. Um, you know, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. That was the one where I was thinking about the Spanish moss, mm-hmm. <laughs> along with yeah. Flannery O'Connor. Um, you know, <laughs> Crack Hour has Into Thin Air and Into the Wild, even though they're very similar titles. Both of them, I think, are so good. Um, in the Heart of the Sea, we talked about, or one of your favorites and my favorites, When We Cease to Understand the World. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a oh, man. what a beautiful title with so many implications of what that means. I thought that was great. I mean, again, I could go on and on, but um, Oliver Sacks has that wonderful book called the man who mistook his wife for a hat. And like, that could be gimmicky, but it's literally based in a case study. So again, it's like, it has the hook, but then when you read it, it's like, wow, no, I mean, that actually completely makes sense. Um, you know, I could go on and on and on. Like I said, John McPhee, I, I mentioned him pretty much every episode, but Annals of the Former World, I think is just an absolutely beautiful title. Um, but then he has the other one, Encounters with the Archdruid. I mean, that, so I think that nonfiction is another area where 
there's so much area for creativity. Um, you know, th- this, this one's just brutal because it's based on, you know, some, some really harsh um, topics that it's covering, but it's a quote and it says, we wish to inform you that tomorrow we will be killed with our families. And that's a direct mm-hmm. quote from one of those. So that, like, there's so many things you can do with a title. And even though that one is long, you know, immediately you read that and you know, you're in for, you know what you're in for. Yeah. So I know I'm throwing curveballs at you, just throwing out all these topics without any preparation. So, yeah. I, I hadn't even thought of, I hadn't even thought of um, the, that area of going into nonfiction, which is, mm-hmm. which is a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit because of my, my reading is usually uh, that's not where I go, but right. yeah, uh, if I, a lot of these books, when I, when I see them, it's, it's something that I want to read because of the title or the mm-hmm. subtitle. You know, a lot of these also have colon and then go into what they're about. <laughs> yeah. When I was looking up long book titles, often I was like, well, the title's not that long, but then you add the colon and all of a sudden it's like, you know, 15 <laughs> words. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I'll I'll just I'll let I'll let that sit with with yeah, uh, with our with For our sure. listeners. Um, how about uh, I'll I'll do one more author mm-hmm. that I think may may take the cake for me. I don't always like the books, but I always like his titles. Um, this is Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I'm so glad you mentioned him. He was on my list. He <laughs> has some of the best titles. There are, period. Yeah. I mean, 100 Years of Solitude. Before I read that book, I was just so excited to read a book called that. You know, maybe based on my affinities. <laughs> I guess I had them even when I was younger. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Autumn of the Patriarch. Um, the Chronicle of a Death Foretold. Oh, uh, so news of a Kidnapping. There's just something about that that I mm-hmm. I like the the sense of it being news of a kidnapping. What do those words evoke? Each of them individually, mm-hmm. and when do you hear it phrased that way? You know, um, love in the time of cholera. Another just really great time. I mean, he has great opening sentences and paragraphs too. He does. Um, living to tell the tale, and then his uh, his uh, memory memories of my melancholy horrors. Um, I think that just, title, the first time I, I remember the first time I read memory, or I mean, I haven't read the book yet, but when I first heard the title memories of my melancholy horrors, it's just what an absolutely like intriguing, beautiful, stunning, strange title, you know? And I don't know how this is in Spanish, but in Portuguese, mm-hmm. the word for horror is exceptionally vulgar. Mm-hmm. I mean, exceptionally vulgar. And that's the word he, you know, it's the same word in Spanish and that's the word he uses in his mm-hmm. Spanish, uh, uh, language title horror mm-hmm. is you know not that vulgar i mean it might be like oh we don't bring that up in polite society right but you probably wouldn't say i mean it might be a little bit more than prostitute but there are plenty of other words that i could use that are much more derogatory and much more you know slap in the face kind of words and to me that's what his uh, spanish language title for my memories of my melancholy horrors is like and same kind of stuff with Roberto Bolaño. Sometimes the this titles that we get in English feel softer. Not that they're wrong; they're 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 translate they're legitimate translations, but they feel softer 
than they are in Spanish. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a good point. So, uh, anyway, yeah, there, just Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and it did make me think of a bunch of other. You know, what are some other titles or authors that I want to read that I never have, just because mm-hmm. I'm a, a, attracted to to their titles, um, and it you know. I didn't I didn't list all of these, but that's kind of one thing that I was curious about too. You know, how many of these uh folks do I do I want to read them? Because I hear good things, but also because I am very interested in their uh their titles. Um one is Kenyan author Ngujiwa Tiango. Um there's something about his books uh, Weep Not Child. Devil on the Cross, uh, Petals of Blood, A Grain of Wheat, even, you know, as simple mm-hmm. as that sounds, it, you know, to, to, to boil it down to a grain of wheat. Um, I have all of his books, I believe, and I have read zero of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm, the titles. you know, the titles make me, and, and you know, they, they come in those Penguin Classic editions as well for the for the most part not all of them but a lot of them do and so it's nice just to have them there you know i've got this list this little part of my shelves that's great titles great looking books all this promise and i just haven't haven't delved into to see it yet but you know i guess i I think in years past i was like well this year he's going to win the nobel prize that'll that'll spur me to finally read these hasn't happened you know so i don't Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like it's going to happen um, but, uh, I, he is a, an author that very much based on what his books are about, but also the, the, you know, weep not child when you know what he's mm-hmm. writing about that just evokes so much. And I'm anxious for the, for the books themselves. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I was thinking about that too. Like books that I either bought, not based on the title, but like you said, that, that was the hook or ones that keep calling to me, even though I haven't yet read them. And one that I think about a lot is The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner by Alan mm-hmm. Stilto or Silito. And that's one that for years and years, every time I come across that title, it just calls to me. And so I finally did pick it up fairly recently in a, in a um, used bookstore. And I do know generally what it's about, <laughs> but more than anything, I just love that title or there's something. It has the word loneliness like, in it. And maybe that is. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the, uh, all the psychiatrists and psychologists out in the audience are scratching furiously in their notepads. How um, is it that these two nihilists are called pleasant uh, dudes by Nora, <laughs> <right>. you know? <laughs> um, but I mean, there's also like the flip side, like Skippy dies, you know, that, that that's yeah. such a good title. And, and my wife brought that one up because that's a book that she really enjoyed when I was, we were just chatting about like good titles that, so it doesn't have to always be poetic and, you know, that side of things, it can also sometimes be very straightforward and just kind of intriguing. So I like that one, but uh-huh. um, yeah, there's so many that I haven't read that the title wants me to things fall apart by Chinua Achebe. I've still never read oh, that, yeah. but what a, I do love that one title. That is that mm-hmm. lives up to the title. I would say. Yeah. I figured like Simenon <laughs> has so many great titles, dirty yeah. snow or the man who watched trains go by. There's just, I mean, I could, like I said, I could go on and on forever with, great titles, but May Sarton, who's another favorite of ours. Some of hers uh-huh. are just wonderful in particular journal of a solitude and plant dreaming deep, which are two of my favorite journals of hers. But 
it's just little subtle things like it's not journal of solitude it's journal of a solitude and sometimes it's just a minor little thing like that that yeah it gets to me and i couldn't explain exactly what it is about that that just haunts me but i just think it's beautiful it's better in that mm, way for, for us, you know, based on our, our, our things, I agree with mm-hmm. you putting the, a, you know, that indefinite article singular mm-hmm. <laughs> is yeah. really nice. And I think, you know, uh, that you're right. May Sarton. I didn't know who she was until Thomas on, mm-hmm. uh, on the readers, you know, with, with Simon uh, would bring her up every once in a while and just say, Oh, I'm reading blah, blah, blah by May Sarton. And I'm like, well, that I really like her her titles. One of my favorite poems, you know, as a kid and it, well, not a kid, but you know, as a, as a student was mm-hmm. uh, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock by T.S. Eliot. And May Sarton has a book, Mrs. Stevens. I love how it's a woman. Here's mm-hmm. the mermaid singing. I never read that book, but I can't wait. I'm also, because I now know May Sarton a little better, think she can make it worth, but I, I love a shower of summer days. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's it's not it's the journal of a solitude. It's a, a shower of summer days. Yeah. Uh, faithful are the wounds. Um, let's see what are some others uh, that she has here. Uh, I, I really enjoyed as we are now when I read it. Mm-hmm. She has the magnificent spinster. <laughs> yeah, I love 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 that title. So, yeah, just again, there, there's there's so many. Oh, this is frustrating. Know, there is. <laughs> well, and I haven't even brought up one more little, not little, it's a huge, but kids books. I was just going to mention that <laughs> kids books can have such an amazing range. And that's one where I do feel like the title is one of the great ways to pull a, a kid or a parent into a book that, you know, sometimes it's a picture book and there are literally no words besides beside the title for example. But I mean, there's so many great ones that I could just list a couple, you know, I think maybe the best is Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Like what a great, what a great yeah. title. And it just sums up like, it's okay to just have a crappy day. And sometimes it happens, but. And to uh, be a little bit dramatic about it. <laughs> exactly. Just lean into it. Everybody needs one of those days. But I mean, there's classics where the wild things are and the snowy day. I mean, those are both just beautiful. The little engine that could, um, if you give a mouse a cookie, that's such a great title because it's like you said, it's the first title or the first line of the book, but it starts this whole series of like, and then, and then, and then, and then kind of idea. Um, You know, like I said, I could keep going, but the incredible book eating boy has always been one of my favorites, Oliver Jeffers. I love his books in general, but I I love that title. So I just thought that was like another Mm -hmm. interesting way where you could go on for a long time, but sometimes for a little kid or a parent, when they're just walking through the library and yeah, of course covers play a, a huge role when they're so visual at that age, but sometimes the title is the main thing that could hook them in. And it often is funny or exciting or something like that to get them interested. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing to think about too. It, it did lead me into one other aspect that I, I'd kind of written down, but had, had forgotten that I wanted to maybe, maybe bring up, but maybe mm-hmm. this is a good place to go into, to end. Yeah. As a kid, Looking at my parents' bookshelves, yes, some you know sometimes I would pull them out and see the covers, but more often than not, what I would see were the titles of books, mm-hmm. and that's it. And I didn't know the author. I didn't know what the book was about. I was too young to read them, um, but the titles themselves 
made me excited to read them. And I thought of a few that were that way for years. Mm-hmm. And I did read them, and I did love the books. Uh, one would be Wuthering Heights, Emily Bronte. That's a great one. There was just something about that that title, and uh, I don't know what it was, but even as a little kid, I I knew that it was windy. Is it, was it the Wuthering? Is that a windy word? I don't know, but um, mm-hmm. I knew that it was windy. I knew that it was maybe, you know, with the word heights, maybe a little bit precarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know all that he evoked in me, but I was very excited to read that that book, even as a little kid. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yeah. I don't even, I still, you know, I, I have read this book and, and, you know, I do understand what the title is, but I still think it's crazy that that's the title that was chosen for this book but it's perfect. Mm -hmm. It, it has everything to do with the book, but nothing. If you haven't read the book, this is one of those titles that if you haven't read the book, it's, it's just what the words can do for you. It doesn't, doesn't really even promise about the topics are or what you're going to be dealing with, or that it's told by a a little girl. Um, You know, who would ever say that as a little girl? This is one where the title is, is kind of, playing games with you and it makes Mm -hmm. sense only in retrospect. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But it made me want to read this book from a very young age and Mm -hmm. seeing it on the shelf. And then one that I, I love and, you know, uh, and then there were none. Uh, you know, I, they, they had other editions that were, you know, 10 little Indians, for example, didn't have the original, which, you know, uh, with, with its very offensive title, but, Mm -hmm. but they did have, and then there were none um, previously titled, and then it has you know ten little Indians or something like that on it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I always was excited, and I don't think I would have had it been the original title or the, even the secondary title. It was, and then there were none. That phrase, you know, just called to me as a kid. Oh, absolutely. It was years before I read any of these books, but for some reason, it, it they started planting those seeds in my mind at a very young age. And I've talked about it before, but I I love having bookshelves and books around the house, sometimes just in hopes that it might, even if it never leads my kid to read the book or they completely misunderstand it, it might evoke something in them Mm -hmm. that they want to discover, you know, Uh, so (laughs) it's kind of fun. That's really good. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I remember my, my kids... Like you said, there are certain titles and sometimes it's the color or whatever, but this, just the spines of a book that can call out the life of Pi or a confederacy of dunces, mm. like some of these that my kids go back and back to them throughout their lives. And like you said, I don't know if they'll read all of them or any of them, but it's interesting all the different ways that books can call to us. And I do think that titles are a fascinating way to kind of explore that for sure. <laughs> it's back to that marketing thing. You know, I know. Does does it well, really make you want to to dive in and devote the time to to this book? <laughs> yeah, and it's a chicken or the egg thing, I'm sure. But it's amazing how many of the books, like that you mentioned, To Kill a Mockingbird, these titles are the ones that are the great titles of all time. And mm-hmm. and I don't think it's. I mean, obviously, if the substance wasn't there, they would have faded away. I'm sure there are some books with great oh. titles that we don't even know about because they just didn't stand the test of time. But it is amazing how many classics or ones that have kind of made it through the decades have 
just absolutely beautiful titles. You know, their eyes were watching God or we've always lived in the castle, <laughs> Lord of the flies, the heart is a lonely hunter. I mean, oh, I could yeah. go on and on, but they're just, you know, again, I don't think it's a direct correlation that that's why they are well rem- remembered. Obviously the book itself is why, but it is interesting that so many of these amazing books do have amazing titles to go with them. This is going to be the worst episode ever to do the show notes for. I was just thinking (laughs) about that. I was like, he's going to kill me. (laughs) But we will do it. (laughs) Okay. Well, maybe we can uh, divide and conquer. I'll I'll take one for the team and jump in. We we can divide it up. That's so funny. I was just thinking about that while I was reeling off like 10 more at the very end, squeezing them in. (laughs) Well, I'm like reading authors, whole bibliographies, (laughs) but, but we're for a point. Now, now, last thing, and this is a lark. These words evoke something, but, and this might be our little, you know, our, our hook. Mm. Do you think some of them was the font and the way that they looked on the spine when we were kids? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wonder about that too. You know, when we think about this in terms of marketing, We do judge books by their cover and by the title font. Those promise things too, or evoke evoke certain moods or tones, or you know they have promises about what you might find in there, whether they are lies, you know, false promises or not. Um, Sometimes it does make me agree with uh, our friend uh, uh, M. A. Orthofer, where he says the best books have just a the the title in the same font on the cover. And the author's name, and that's it. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. they then you're not influenced by all the other packaging elements. You just get to delve delve into the text. But I, I mean, I love that stuff. I do too. But but sometimes yeah. it is hard to pull away. You know, I, I looked over here. The reason I thought of that is I have Harry, Harry Militia's book, The Discovery of Heaven, which I think mm-hmm. is a really good title. But the way that they've put it on the spine is not. Um, so that it's going up and down. It's the Mm -hmm. on its own line, discovery on its own line of on its own line, heaven. And it's all caps, but a little bit, a little bit renaissance-y, not like, you know, flourished, but it just looks it it, that in addition to the great title makes it look important and uh, meaningful, just the way that it's situated on that spine. But that's a little bit of a distraction and a tangent maybe for another day, but you know, I would want to read Wuthering Heights regardless of how it was written. Exactly. But I, but I may have been influenced if it was written in a, in a gothic-y uh, haunted font or the cover, you know, the, even the spine had some colors on it that made me go, Ooh, get a little cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, like we said, it's interesting. It's, there's so many things that go into this love of reading and, you know, a lot of it is, is on the cover or on the spine, but titles is a great way to hook people. And, like I said, just given the examples of the fact that I've only read about half of the books that I could have mentioned today, <laughs> it's a fun, fun rabbit trail to go down. And it's just an interesting, another interesting way to look at, at books and literature. I mean, as we always say, I would love to hear from people out in the audience or, you know, listeners t- to kind of hear what some of your favorite book titles are, For or if sure. there's any genres that you feel like, you know, might lend themselves to great titles, like we mentioned, noir and horror, but I'm sure there's many others. So add to our list. We would love That's- it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Uh, on that line, there there are, you know, Twitter is a great place to, to write to us, though mm-hmm. it is that things get lost in the scroll. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the newsletter, you can leave comments there 
or in, in Patreon as well, though, though fewer people will see it on Patreon. But in the newsletter itself, you can uh, leave comments there that stick with the episode. I'm not mm-hmm. necessarily like saying, please do this, but it's an option for folks who are wondering, well, how can I, how can I write in some of my thoughts and maybe engage in conversations with each other about these things too. It doesn't, it doesn't even have to be with, with us necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should maybe foster something like that a little bit better, you know, to, mm-hmm. to build the community. Cause right now, if you went and left a comment, you might feel like you just went into an empty room and shouted something and then sat there alone for a long time, right? <laughs> you know, if, with just your words echoing around, uh, maybe we'll have to try and build that up a little bit, but that's a place where if you want to start listing titles and sharing them, that might be kind of fun. So I love that. It's a good idea. And as always, you know, Twitter, Instagram, uh, email. We love to hear from all of you, whatever mm-hmm. way you prefer, any way you prefer all of the above. So yeah, let us know what you think. All right. Well, I think I'm going to go read a book that probably I wanted to read because of its title, Cold Nights of Childhood that I mentioned earlier. Mm. <laughs> That's just such a good title again. Great Cold title. Nights of Childhood. Oh, it's almost heartbreaking to even think about that. Um, Absolutely. And, and by the way, on the back, it, it talks about other books it might be compared with. And here's an author with great titles that we didn't bring up. Gene Rice, uh, mm. Good Morning, uh, Midnight. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so good. She has we better stop. Title. I know. We have to stop. We have to stop. See, We're going to be overwhelmed. for adding more titles to the <laughs> oh, show notes. No, You're I, doing this, it to the very end. <laughs> this was a book I already mentioned, but I didn't mention the Good Morning, Midnight. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I, not yelling at you again. I'm the one who listed Barbara Pims and Gabriel Garcia Marquez's entire bodies of work. Yeah, that's um, so fun. And, and Gabriel Garcia Marquez is going to be harder because I like to list the translators. So, man. Yeah. Well, and once we stop recording, I will still just be like, oh, I should have mentioned this one. I should have mentioned this one. We'll leave some for the for the listeners to throw out there so we don't right. cover every book ever written. I mean, George L. Orwell didn't do this episode. We we didn't want to cover everything. That's right. You know, exactly. So <laughs> there are there are others who will come 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 behind and continue to build upon our work. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, it, even if it's not your favorite titles, but just some of your thoughts on the power of titles, um, we recognize that as we're sitting here talking, sometimes we we strike on something and only later on are we like, oh, I could have gone deeper there. I finally know what I was going to say about that because mm-hmm. right now it's a little bit of a mishmash. You all really are articulate and tell us things about our topics or what we're trying to say that um, elucidate things in beautiful ways. So we'd love to hear mm-hmm. from you just even about how titles have affected you um, in your, in your life, or maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you, you know, are one who wishes every book were just, uh, you know, book one by author so-and-so book two by author so-and-so. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. What a mess that would be. But... <laughs> it could get very confusing. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks Paul. Before we, before anyone adds another book, I'll say, That's see right. ya. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. See ya. Bye everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can find Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month, helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash mooks. Until next time.